We are in our third week of our series, A Strange Way to Save the World, based on the song, A Strange Way to Save the World. Uh, and it asks those four questions about why God chose to do what he chose to do and how he chose to do it. And we've talked about why me, the, the reasons Joseph was chosen. Last week we talked about why him, why did God choose to send the salvation of the world as a baby. And we talked on that last week. And this week we get to why here. Why did God choose this place? And, and we come basically out of the same text as where we're going to start because again, I believe so many things about Jesus and so many things about the truths of Scripture can't be found in one passage. So we're going to be all over the place. But we come to the Christmas story there in Luke chapter 2. And it's just verse 4 today that we look at. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your love. We praise you for this gift that we celebrate each Christmas. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Why Bethlehem? Besides the obvious, this is where this is where uh, the family came from. Why? Why would God choose that? From the foundation of the world, he, he chose this place to be the birthplace. Why there? Why a stable? Why all of these things? You know, Bethlehem lay five to six miles southwest of Jerusalem. It was a tiny village. Insignificant by, by most eyes. But yet, centuries before the Messiah would be born, it was prophesied that he would be born there. So why was he born in Bethlehem? Bethlehem, the word literally means the house of bread. Uh, you know, if if you were here last Christmas on Wednesday night, you may have heard some of this because I think I talked about it back then too, but this is one of my, my, my favorite thoughts, my favorite themes when I look at Christmas is the idea of Bethlehem and what Bethlehem means because it's the house of bread. And in the Bible, names always mean something. There's, there's always a meaning to names. And so I've taken that same approach and named my, my kids. Um, you know, that there has to be a meaning for their name. And I won't go into all of them, but you know, Shiloh's name literally means the promise of God. That's what it means. And he was our rainbow baby. He came after uh, we lost two. And so we had a prophecy. I told you all this story. We had a prophecy. I was at First Baptist Church in Kwana for a fifth Sunday sing, and we had just sang. And uh, this guy comes to me and goes, I've been looking all over for you. I've never seen this guy in my life. I don't know who he is. He says, do you believe in words from God? And I was like, is this a trick question? <laughs> and and, and he, I said, well, well, yeah. And he said, well, God has a word for you. He said, I went to your church five weeks ago because I'm an, I'm an EMT and the EMT house was across the street from the church. And he said, I went to look for you, but you weren't there. Well, that's when we were gone on the loss of our second baby. We had gone off to be by ourselves to heal. 
And he'd come on that Sunday because God had given him a word. He said, and I came here tonight. He said, I went to look for churches. And I started going to all the churches in town. He said, I used to be the Assembly of God pastor in a, in a church somewhere else. And first I went, oh. Uh, but then he says to me, God had a word for you. He said, can I tell you what it is? He said, because I started looking at churches tonight and no church in town was open. And I was like, are these people all heathens? And he said, then I came here to this church and everybody in town seems to be here and you're all here together to have this fifth Sunday thing. And God came to me and told me he wants me to tell you that he's still the God of Abraham and Sarah. What? We, we had just been thrown out of the CPS foster care adopt program because of funding changes. Because we had already gone through part of the classes. They said, oh, our budget was cut. We're only dealing with family members. All of our hope was gone. And this guy comes and says this. And then, wouldn't you know it, when we're on staff there at that church as interim youth minister, 13 months later, basically, Shiloh is conceived. Shiloh, the promise of God. And Bethlehem means the house of bread. And there are, there are things here about Bethlehem that, that make me go, wow! Because he's born in the house of bread. So he's born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to identify with and be available to common man. He could have been available, he could have been born anywhere, right? He could have been born in the palace of Herod. He could have been born in the palace of Caesar. He could have been born in the palace of Pharaoh. God could have chosen any of those things. But instead, he sent him to this little bitty town known as the house of bread. Bread is one of the most common things in the world. Everybody, well, back then, everybody ate bread. Today, people don't eat bread. Sorry, that's in biblical to me. That's a different story. Um, <laughs> it's the house of bread. Everybody. From the poorest person to the richest king ate bread. When Jesus came down in Bethlehem, the house of bread, he was signifying that he was born for everyone. He was a savior for everybody. He wasn't born in the house of, of rich foods or the house of poor foods. He was born in the house of bread, the one food that everybody ate. The one food that everybody took part in. So when he was born there in the house of bread, he was identifying with and available to common man, but he was also born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to satisfy our spiritual hunger. Jesus called himself the bread of life. And he said, he's like the manna in the wilderness that came down from heaven and was freely given to satisfy the needs of the people. We all walk through this world with a spiritual hunger. Even when we don't know that it's there, it's there. Before we know Jesus, we're always searching for something. There's something we're looking for. There's something that we need. And we're always looking for it. And when we find him, it, it, it hits the spot. You ever had a craving? You ever have one of those cravings where you didn't know what it was you were craving, but you were craving something? And you begin eating everything you can find trying to find out what that craving is? That's life before Jesus. There is a hole, and there is something we're craving, and we don't know what it is. And Jesus says, I'm it. He comes to the house of bread to satisfy our spiritual hunger. It's not a coincidence that when the child was born, he was placed where? In a feed bin. A place of nourishment. 
The one who came down is the bread from heaven. The one who came to satisfy our spiritual hunger was placed in an animal feeding trough, a place of nourishment for animals. And those are the big spiritual points today. But one of the things you'll learn about me, if you haven't already, is I love the Old Testament. Absolutely love it. I don't believe you can truly understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. Because there are things that happen back there where we go, oh, because all of this stuff, all of these theological points don't even touch upon the deeper connections of Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem to connect him in his birth to the history of God's chosen people. When we begin to examine the Old Testament, when we begin to see what it is that's happening, and when we see where Bethlehem is, Bethlehem is in the shadow of Jerusalem. And it's so fitting that it is, because how appropriate is it that the importance of Bethlehem and his Jesus' birth are shadowed all through the Old Testament? Bethlehem shows up the first time in the book of Genesis. Did we realize that? Bethlehem's in Genesis. There in the 35th chapter, Rachel, Jacob's most beloved wife, is pregnant with her last baby. And they come after leaving the place where they were going to Bethel and you have the big um, the big scene where Jacob wrestles with the angel and he's given the name Israel and directly after that scripture says they set out from Bethel where they were where there was still some distance from Ephrath Rachel began to give birth and her labor was difficult and during her difficult labor, the midwife said to her, Don't be afraid, for you have another son. And with her last breath, for she was dying, she named him Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Jacob set up a marker on her grave, and it's the marker of Rachel's grave to this day. As Rachel is dying. If you remember the story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah and the handmaidens and all the things that go on there and there's that big competition to have sons, to have children. And Rachel's last thing that she does is have a child and she names him Ben-Oni which means the son of my trouble. But then Jacob renames that child Benjamin. Benjamin. Benjamin means the son of my right hand. Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost. Peter is there in the midst of all these people and he gives the greatest sermon the world has ever known. And in that sermon he says this. Jesus, the Son of God, was exalted to the right hand of the Father. It's no coincidence that the birthplace of Israel's Son of my right hand is also the birthplace of the Son of God's right hand. 
going on here that are deeper. The shadow of Rachel doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just this right hand. Rachel's buried in Bethlehem. Rachel was Jacob's first choice. Jacob loved Rachel. He worked and worked and worked and worked and worked for her. And then his father-in-law tricked him. He forgot to look under the veil. That's what I learned from, from Jacob. Always look under the veil. <laughs> Examine what's going on. And he didn't. And so all of a sudden he's married to the woman he doesn't want to be married to, Leah. Leah, who means plain. Married to her. But I still want to marry Rachel. Okay, I'll give her to you. If you work for me some more. And he works for her some more. And finally gets to marry her. He was, she was his first choice. And she's buried in Bethlehem. Israel was God's first choice. And the Messiah that came to the burial place of Israel's first choice was rejected by God's first choice. There's lots of things here about Bethlehem. It's also in the shadow of Ruth's Bethlehem. Remember the story of Ruth? It's one of those favorite stories of the Bible, right? Because Ruth is a very short book in the end. And you look at it and you go, what is this even in here for? It's like a romance novel. I mean, you know, Fabio should be on the cover of the book of Ruth. <laughs> right? I mean, it's a romance novel. There's not a whole lot here. But what happens is, Ruth, man, she's not even in Israel she is a Moabite, a Moabitess. She's married to an Israelite. And he dies. And her brother-in-law dies. And her father-in-law dies. And her mother-in-law's like, I'm done. I'm going to go back home and be an old, shriveled up, dried up widow. You go back to your people and she said... The greatest wedding scripture ever written is in the book of Ruth. And it's not some man talking to some woman or someone talking to some It's some woman talking to her mother-in-law. Do not ask me to leave you. Because I'm going to go where you go and I'm going to stay where you stay and your people are going to be my people and your God is going to be my God. And there is this great love for her and her mother-in-law. And she's like, but, but I'm old. I'm not going to have any more kids. There's not going to be anybody there for you to marry, to be part of the family. I don't want to subject you to that. But she stays anyway. And in the course of events, she finds a man by the name of Boaz. And it's a little hinky for us today because, you know, she goes and she lays at the speed and cover. It's weird. But... Boaz redeems him. Boaz stands in front of the elders and all the people at the gate and he says, I am going to take her as my wife. You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to El Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I will acquire Ruth the Moabitess. Malon's widow is my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among the relatives. Or from the gate of his home, you are my witnesses today. Boaz said, she's not even going to take my name. 
thing. I'm going to redeem her. I'm going to put her back into this lineage. She's going to be there. And it's this lineage that Jesus comes from. God sends the Redeemer of the world to a place remembered for the redemption of the line of David. That's amazing. It's not an accident that Jesus came to Bethlehem. Bethlehem has a rich history. There in Bethlehem, Ruth is redeemed. There in Bethlehem, Jesus' lineage is completed. There is the reason. But it was also in the shadow of David's Bethlehem. David, that most important of all kings until Jesus. David was born there. David was anointed there as king. And here, the king of kings is born. Here in Bethlehem, he is anointed by the Magi, the kings from the east. In Bethlehem, David found refreshing water. There's a story in 2 Samuel where David's there in the middle of a military battle. And he's like, oh! I wish I had some water from daddy's well. And his mighty men, they get up and they run to that well. They fight their way through the line to bring him back a drink of water. It's a well he had used often. Water that would refresh him. In Bethlehem is born the one who would be called the living water. The one who, if you drink from it, will never be thirsty. God sent the one who is the living water to the place known by David as a source of refreshing water. But no talk of Bethlehem would ever be complete without the talk of Micah's Bethlehem. Micah foretold Jesus coming from Bethlehem long before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. There in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 it says, But Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Therefore he will abandon them until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of Yahweh in the majestic name of Yahweh his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. That someone so significant could come from someplace so insignificant. It's important. Why? Because that tells us that you're never a nobody when God says you're a somebody. And Jesus would have come any other way, it wouldn't have been this way. Jesus didn't come to those places. He didn't come to the palace of the king. And he didn't come to the palace of Pharaoh. He didn't come to those places. He came to a little bitty town in the middle of nowhere. He came to a place called the house of bread. He called to a place that connected him to the Old Testament. He came from a place that was so insignificant that no one can ever really imagine anything great that happened there. I wasn't here. Does anybody remember the first time Lipan went to the state championship? We were all there. Did, did, uh, did, 
Did people believe it could happen when it first started out? You were laughing. It was a little bitty close. There's no way that's ever going to happen. And guess what? Did something significant happen from some place that people thought was insignificant? We have we have legacies across the state of Texas in football and basketball and all sorts of things. Little bitty towns that people hear the name and they go. Oh. Little bitty towns. Richland Springs. How many times have they gone to state with six men Little bitty town. Strawn has a new TV show about them. You're never a nobody when God says you're somebody. Just because you come from some place that's insignificant doesn't mean you're insignificant to God. It doesn't mean that, that God has, has neglected and looked away because God will always look and God will always say, this is the plan that I have for you. This is what I'm calling you to do. You know, when we come back to this idea of the house of bread, by being born in Bethlehem, Jesus reminds us that each person must make their own choice. If I eat dinner... It doesn't fill that up. One person can't eat a meal and it gives satisfaction to someone else. You ever been on a diet? There's more to this thought, I promise. <laughs> Have you ever been on a diet and you look at someone who's eating something you really want and you're just trying to imagine what it tastes like because you know you really want that, but it's not on your diet. And guess what? It never satisfies the craving. I'm going to jerk me a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Tastes like air. Because it is air. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to tell us, I have to make my own choice. Carrie can't decide to follow Jesus for me. I can't decide to follow Jesus for my kids. Each person has to make their own choice. They have to take the step and do what needs to be done. No one else can do it for you. People, I know people all the time who are thinking, well, I'm a Christian because I was raised in church. What does that mean? I can sit in the garage all day long. It doesn't make me a car. We each have to make a choice. We have to do this and say, okay, this is a choice for me. I need to do this. I need to take this step. Just like regular hunger is the same for spiritual hunger. You ever sat on the sidelines watching somebody who's on fire for Jesus thinking, I wish I could be like that? Why can't you? Why can't you? It's a choice. It's a choice to become fat-winded. It's a choice to put all the things we need within us so that when those things happen, man, that flame just comes up. And we know the different people. We know people in our lives. There are some people who, man, you look at them and you go, man, I want some of their Jesus. And there are some people you look at and go, if that's Jesus, I don't want any part of it. 
Have you made that choice today? Bethlehem was destined to be the birthplace of the Messiah, and we all have to travel to Bethlehem to make our choice. We have to make that journey on our own. I can try all I want to to bring somebody else to Bethlehem. But if they don't make the choice, I just brought a burden. Maybe this morning, you're going, Brother Troy, you just do a lot of stuff with us. And I gotta go, I gotta go dwell on this for a little while and think about it and let it process. That's fine. It's just, that's what it is. Maybe this morning you've had something unlocked in your mind for the first time. That there's more to Bethlehem than God just saying and throwing the dart at a wall. Because so often we look at things and we go, God just chose because he's sovereign. Well, yeah, there's part of that. But there's a plan in place that God does. He does things in an orderly fashion. God is never a God of chaos. He's always a God of order. Maybe this morning you just want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions, ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe maybe you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never known the one who was born to be the one who fulfills all of our spiritual needs. Today would be a great day. Just walk down to Brother Troy. I want to know Jesus and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.